Well, I don't know how long it's been since you've been in the book of Second Chronicles, but that's where we're headed today. And in your uh, bulletin, you have an outline which I would re- encourage you to fill out for this reason. I don't want to just bring the message. Not just for you and not just for myself, but if you fill out the outline, then you can take that home with you and you can review that. And I think that the Holy Spirit will prod your heart and mind and bring things to your mind that will challenge you and motivate you to be revived. And so I'd encourage you to do it. You might know that the book of Second Chronicles deals with the kings of Judah. And as you read through that book, you're going to run into godly kings that God greatly blessed. And then you run into their sons who so often were wicked, evil kings. And he judged the nation because of that. The book begins with the king Solomon. And it ends with King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, of course, had turned away from the Lord. And no matter what God did to prod him, to try to revive him, he simply chose not to be revived. And so the judgment came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem, as well as the capital. And reading through Second Chronicles, you'll run across, I said, a good king and then an evil king. One king walks with God and experiences God's blessing upon his reign and upon Judah. And then his son gets into power and he completely turns away from God and brings judgment upon himself and the nation. An example of that would be King Hezekiah. He walked with God. He was even put to the test. But he turned to God and God greatly blessed him. But his son... Manasseh was one of the most evil kings that ever reigned. It's interesting about him because he was taken to Babylon, put in prison there, the dungeon there, and there he repented and God restored him. That's an amazing thing to me. (coughs) He restored him, but he said, because of the wickedness and the evil that that man did, I will not relent from bringing the judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem and the temple. That's amazing. Well, that's how the book of Second Chronicles ends. But every once in a while in the book of Second Chronicles, you see God bringing revival to the king and the nation. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, God's recipe for revival. And I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 14. Second Chronicles chapter 14. I want you to notice the first step. And this is always the first step. So mark it down in your outline there. The first step that God is going to bring revival to your heart. And that first step is this. God must first get your attention. Always starts there. God must first get your attention. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage starting in verse 9 and going through chapter 15, verse 6, and you can follow along or it will be up on behind me here on the uh, uh, front wall here. Second Chronicles 14, verse 9. Nazira, the Ethiopian, came out against him with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marasha, that's about 25 to 30 miles uh, south of Jerusalem. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come out against this multitude, 
O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army, and they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them, and they despoiled all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock, and they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For many days Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. In those times there was no peace for him who went out or of him who came in, for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. And notice this last part, for God, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. When it comes to revival, God must first get your and my attention. You know, that's true when we got saved, wasn't it? You didn't get saved until God got your attention. Maybe it was a a serious problem, something you were struggling with. Maybe it was your fear of dying. It might have been your fear of hell. Maybe you heard a message on hell or you read the Bible and you got frightened and said, man, I don't want to go there. And he got your attention. Somehow he got your my attention and that caused us to put our faith in his son and come to saving faith. It's also very common to grow lukewarm in our Christian life, isn't it? I mean, we all experience that. Hines, you talked about that a little bit in the Fundamentals of the Faith this morning. It's easy to drift, for example. We sort of drift along and even become indifferent. We become apathetic in our commitment to God. We stop reading the Bible. We stop coming to church. We start stop gathering with God's people. Our prayer life just goes to non-existence. And we lose our sensitivity to sin and calluses starts to form. If we were to be revived, what's going to be the first step when you're in that condition? God will get your attention. God will get your attention. Starts there. How does he do that, though? How does he do that? Number one... God does so by using circumstances in your life. Well, that should be obvious, shouldn't it? He does so by using circumstances in your life. Listen, for King Asa and Judah, it was being notified that an army of over a million people in that army, plus 300 chariots, was on their back door. Well, that would get my attention. You know, that invasion like that, that was only about 30 miles away. 25, 35 miles away. And that was one of their fortified cities as well over there. And here was this Ethiopian army and so forth. And those were circumstances that got the king of the people's attention. And what did they do? What can we learn from what they did here? Well, turn to God when you're outnumbered. How about that? Turn to God when you're outnumbered. So many people will not 
turn to God in their circumstances. And yet that's the very thing he's trying to use to get your attention so he can bring revival to you and me. Look at verse 11 again. Mark that down. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come out against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let no man prevail against you. Turn to God when you're outnumbered. Turn to God in your circumstances. But secondly, here in the text, turn to God when you're distressed and afflicted. Turn to God when you're distressed and afflicted. Look again, if you would, at verses 4 through 6. But in their distress, they turn to the Lord God of Israel. Did you know that a lot of people don't do that? They try to handle it themselves. They try to figure it out. They almost exclude the fact that God's even there loving them, caring about them, working in their life. And they don't turn to him in their distress. But they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. It says in those times there was no peace to him who went out or of him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. That might be a characterization of your life right now. Even as a Christian. You say, that that characterizes where I am. That's exactly what I identify with. And notice what it goes on and says, verse 6, it says, Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. Notice what it says, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. God was involved in that. Frankly, I think that God's very much involved in all that we're going through in this nation right now. Trying to get our heart and our attention as well. And you and I are the key because we are the salt and light in this nation. So turn to God when you're outnumbered. Turn to God when you're distressed and affliction. God uses your circumstances to get your attention. Don't throw that work of God away. And so many Christians do exactly that. That's the first step. First step. But there's another way that God gets our attention. Notice this. The other way. Number two, God does so by using his word. He uses his word. God will use both his spoken and written word in your life. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. God will use both his spoken and his written word in your life. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will also forsake you. God uses both his spoken and his written word in your life. It was God's gift to the king and the people to send to them prophets. These were men that God chose and he would give his message directly to them and he said, now go. Go and deliver this message. This really is a good message that's coming from God to Asa as well as the people of Judah. These prophets were sent by God to get the people's attention, you might notice. And God still does the same today, does he not? 
He sends people into your and my life. I don't mean that there are prophets like there were of old, but there are preachers and others are called by God. And they share the word of God in Sunday school. They share it in Bible studies. They share it maybe one-on-one with you. They share it from the pulpit. And what's God doing like he's trying to do right now? He's trying to get your and my attention. And he does so through the word. And it's my prayer that he'll do that in your and my life through this scripture this morning. God will cause you to pay close attention. Notice number two. He'll cause you to pay close attention to his promises and his warnings. Look at that. Look at verse two again. Notice God's promises as well as his warnings. I want to say this. There's about four verses I want you to mark in your Bibles. That's right. Mark it in your Bibles. And this is one of them. Verse two. Verse two. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Is that still true today? Is it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. Is that true today? Yes, it is. You can find that backed up in the scriptures. But notice the warning. But if you forsake him... He will also forsake you. Mark that verse down in your Bibles there. God will cause you to pay close attention to his promises and his warnings. How does he do that? By using circumstances as well as his word both spoken and written in your and my life. I would ask you this question to myself as well. Does God have your attention this morning and where you are in your journey with him does he have your I'm talking about God now not me does God have your attention because you're dearly loved by him and he cares infinitely about your situation and he wants to revive you and me as well this is the first step in God's recipe for revival he has to get your and my attention by the way those attention is given in those circumstances both good and bad both this this was good here wasn't it so God uses the good to get your attention as well I remember I would ask you to think about what God asked you in this verse. He says, do not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. And that's something he says, don't think lightly about that. Of the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Not knowing, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Boy, if God has been good to you and you experience that, you need to say, Lord, one of the reasons you've been so good to me is you're leading me to repentance. You want to revive me. Well, that reminds me, by the way, of one who would not pay attention to God, King King Ahaz. And by the way, God did everything imaginable to get King Ahaz's attention over in Isaiah 7. He did not want to judge him. He did not want to judge the nation. He did everything possible. He said, look, I'll even let you ask for a sign as high as the heaven above or the earth below. And he said, I won't, I won't uh, ch- ch- challenge God. I'm not going to ask for a sign. And God in anger had to judge that man and the nation because he could not get their attention. Well, there's a second step in God's recipe for revival. A second step. And that's this, think long and hard on the reward God offers you. Think long about it. Think hard about it. On the reward 
the reward that God offers you. Look at verse 7, and this is another one of those verses I want you to mark in your Bible. You know why? Because later on, God may bring you back to the book of Second Chronicles, chapters 14, 15, 16, and you'll say, I wonder why I marked those verses, and you read them, and God will speak to your heart. Look at verse 7 with me of chapter 15. But you, be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's what God says. That's from God. Be strong, he says. And do not lose courage. You might be losing courage with what the, how things are going in this nation, in this world. But this is a good verse for that. Is it not? Be strong and do not lose courage. For there is reward for your work. Think long and hard on the reward God offers you. First, do you, do you want the reward badly enough? It's worth asking. Do you want the reward badly enough? Is it really worth it? Often it's not that we have not been told the right things. It's not that we have not believed the right things. It's that we don't, it's that we don't want it badly enough. I'll give you an illustration. Diets. Now nobody wanted to go there. Diets. Yeah, you say, well, yeah, I think maybe I like to lose some weight. You know, I probably feel better. Uh, I'd have more energy. Possibly I might live longer. I'd feel good about myself. Uh, maybe even look better. Who knows? Maybe not. But, you know, possibility. And, you know, we're motivated to start, get started, aren't we? Motivated to get started. But before long, we give up. I want to ask you a question. Why do we give up? We don't want it badly enough. That's why. We don't want it badly enough. And that brings me to number two on think long and hard on the reward God offers you. And that is what I might be giving up. Let's talk for a moment about that. What I might be giving up. Have you heard the statement, sacrificing the permanent on the altar of the immediate? I remember a mission conference way back in Bible college days in Omaha. And that was our theme, sacrificing the permanent on the altar of the immediate. We do that a lot, don't we? That which is permanent, which be most valuable, we sacrifice that on that altar of the immediate. Here's something you do know about God. You know that no one rewards like God rewards. You know that. The scripture tells that. It backs up just like it was in Asa and Judah's life here. You know that God's way is always the best way, and deviation from that way is extremely costly. You know that once we've finished our journey here, that we are not going to be able to come back and do it all over again. It's, it's done. No coming back. No changing anything. We know the big event is yet to come. And that is God says, look, I, you're going to reign with my son. I want to reward you. And the journey now is preparing you for that. There's a reward out there that you do not want to lose. You and I know that he says it's all going to be tested by fire. That's not to determine whether you get into heaven or not. That's, that's the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him that gets you into heaven. But he's now talking about his desire to reward you. And no one has said can reward like God rewards or will reward like that. So think long and hard on the reward God offers you. What might I be giving up? And number three, get started now acting on God's promises. You saw it in verse 2 there. 
Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. There, get, get started on that. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. And verse 7, you marked, I hope, but you be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. You ought to underline that. You ought to go back to that. Think long and hard on it. Say, oh God, then help me to be faithful. I want that kind of revival in my life. Get started now acting on God's promises. By the way, you say, that's Old Testament though. All right, let's go to the last chapter, or the second last chapter, in the book of 1 Corinthians. You probably know how it ends. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. You don't need to turn there. Therefore, he says, he's wrapping it up. Therefore, my beloved brethren, cistern, okay, be steadfast. Paul says, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why, Paul? Because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's why. Isn't that great? What a powerful promise to wrap up that book. Think long and hard. On the reward God offers you. Number four, this is going to take strength and courage on your part. You saw it in verse seven. It's going to take strength and courage on your part. This speaks of effort, determination. It's all too easy to drift, isn't it? Boy, I know that. I know it's so easy to drift in the Christian life. I mean, I got my salvation. I'm going to go to heaven. I belong to the Lord, you know. Hebrews 2.1, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we may not drift away from it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. God's recipe for revival, think long and hard on the reward God offers you. We can move now to the third step. And boy, how important numbers 1 and 2 are, that God must first get your attention. You must think long and hard on the reward God offers you because this third one, this is where it gets us, folks. It's where it gets us. Remove all the idols in your life and home. Wow. Did we have to go there? Remove all the idols in your life and home. Look at verse 8, the first part. Now when Asa heard these words... There it is. God got his attention. He heard these words about the reward and about seeking God and God letting him find him so forth. And the prophecy which Azariah the son of Obed the prophet spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. Isn't that great? Drop down to verses 16 and 17. (coughs) He also removed makeup. The mother of King Asa, his mom, from the position of queen mother, because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah, and Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the book Kidron. And down in verse 18, he brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. Remove all the idols in your life and home. What constitutes an idol? Let's talk for a moment about that. What constitutes an idol? Well, God told the nation of Israel what was an idol by giving them her what? The Ten Commandments. And those first two commandments, what did he say there? He said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above 
on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, if you go with Mary me to Thailand or you go to Nepal, you're going to see idols all over the place. I mean, huge temples totally dedicated to idol worship. You see them in the streets where you go. You see them in front of every business, and there's food there. I don't know why anybody go hungry in Thailand. Just go and get the food they offer to their idols. I mean, it's everywhere. And when you get in a taxi cab, they got their idols there as well. You know, hoping for protection and so forth. Same, as I said, in Nepal as well as Thailand. So we understand that. They're made out of stone and wood back in that day. And thank you, my brother. Wow, don't lose your reward. There you go, there you go. <clears throat> Man, I go for another hour now. <laughs> Look, it wasn't hard to know what an idol was back in Judah, back in that day, around Jerusalem. So they're made out of stone and wood, and the people worshipped them, offering their prayers and uh, sacrifices. But they did one of two things. They either worshipped the idol and God, or they completely left God and worshipped the idols. I think we're probably guilty of the latter. Not leaving God, but adding our little idols as well. These are some of the things that might be idols we worship along with God. Or possibly they've completely replaced God. A big idol for many Christians today is sports. Ooh, don't go there. Sports, yeah, it becomes an idol if it replaces God in any way. Another idol for many people is the television, videos, and movies. Maybe it's a cell phone now. I don't know. Maybe it's Facebook. Anything that replaces God. An idol for many teens that they struggle with would be clothing and cosmetics and fashion. Obviously, money and materialism become idols for a number of Christians. And certainly, sex is promoted as a huge idol in this nation and around the world. These are just some of the things. I'm going to tell you this, though. If you want to get serious about revival... God will step in and he will show you. He will gently probe your heart and your mind and your conscience about what are the idols he wants you to remove. I would ask you this question myself. If God were to remove one thing out of your life, what would that one thing be? Sobering, isn't it? But you know, God loves us so much, and we're his children, and he wants to revive us and wants to bless us like he did Asa and Judah, that that's exactly where he wants us to go. And so remove all the idols in your life and your home. Number two, consider the high places. You know, you're reading through the Old Testament, and you're, they, they got rid of these idols, and then you, you read about these high places. Look at verse 17. For Asa... He did not remove them, but the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. God had specified how and where he was to be worshipped, but some of the people got sloppy in the worship. They were supposed to come at least three times a year to certain festivals to Jerusalem. And they said, nah, that's too far. It's too much of a burden. I've got other things I want to do. I want to get my, bring my crop in. or I, want, I just don't want to make the trip. And so they would create these high places where they worship God instead of going to where God said they were to worship Him. What makes you casual in your pursuit of God? Does God ever talk to you about those, I guess we call them encumbrances in your life, in my life, that He desires for us to lay aside? You know, those things that greatly hinder you in your race, 
What might be a high place? We don't even want to go there, do we? What might be a high place in your life that holds back God's blessing? Well, that's number three. Remove all the idols in your life and home. And number three under that, how, how do I successfully remove the idols in my places? You know, you talk about what to do, but, but, but how? That's important. How do I do it? Well, some, no doubt, are deeply entrenched in your and my life. Man, they're there. They've got such a hook and hold on you and me. Some will cause you even great pain as you try to begin to remove them. I'm reminded of what Ezra said to the people in this day. He said, arise, start there. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. But he went further, but we will be with you. Don't you like that? You're not in it alone. That's why you need the body of Christ. That's why we teach verse by verse the word of God here. That's why we're to pray for one another. You're not alone in this. Be courageous, he says, and act. Ezra 10.4. You're going to need that encouragement and help from your other brothers and sisters. You know, so many of us are trying to do it alone. How's that working? How's that working? As you bumble and stumble along and feel down and, and uh, discouraged and, and so forth. Well, we need the encouragement of one another. Jesus said, by the way, this kind does not come out except through prayer and fasting. One thing I did appreciate about our speaker, mission speaker there from uh, Pakistan, he emphasized over and over the pray, praying and fasting. That part I did really appreciate. Because that was the challenge to my heart about praying and fasting. This kind does not come out except through prayer and fasting. Or the psalmist said, how can a young man, how many young people do we have? How many young men and women do we have here? Don't raise your hand, we can see you. But listen to what he said. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, try harder. No, by keeping it according to thy word. Again, why we teach and preach the word here. It's not my ideas, it's got to be God's word. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, he said. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ever ask or think according to the power, the Holy Spirit that works within us. And he uses his word and he uses brothers and sisters in one another's lives. Another most important step for successfully removing idols and the high places is found in the fourth step that we're going to look at. And that is God's recipe for revival. Number four, restore the altar of the Lord. Restore the altar of the Lord. Look at the last part of verse 8. He then restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. Verse 14, Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. And verse 18, He brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things of silver and gold and utensils. Restore the altar of the Lord. What was significance? What was the significance of the altar of the Lord? What was the significance of that altar? Listen, the altar was essential if holy God was to be able to meet with sinful man. That altar was essential for that. The altar was where the blood of the innocent animal was shed and atonement was made for man's sin. That's how we came to saving faith, because he shed his blood on that cross. The altar was essential for experiencing God's blessing. The altar, therefore, spoke both of our redemption as well as our fellowship with God. 
Now, for King Asa and the people of Judah, restoring the altar of the Lord meant two things. It meant two things. Actual restoration of that altar there in Jerusalem that had been destroyed and removed. And number two, offering the prescribed sacrifices in the prescribed manner as God had set forth. That's what they had to do. You and I cannot do that. Why? Because one final sacrifice has paved the way for us to come to God and be in his presence and experience that fellowship, that forgiveness, and so forth. But we can certainly apply their example in these following points. Number two, to do this, you must enter into a covenant with the Lord. Look at verse 12. To do this, you must enter into a covenant with the Lord. Verse 12. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. May I suggest to you an illustration? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice to God, which is acceptable and perfect. What does he say there? Therefore not, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might know what the will of God is that which is good and perfect and acceptable. He says, listen, come to me and say, Lord, I'm yours. My mind, all parts of me, I am yours. And make that commitment to him. That's the significance of restoring the altar to the Lord of the Lord. Number three, your home will be a place of worship. For some, your home is a place of conflict. Many struggle with that. Make it a place of worship. Make it a place of worship. Have a place where you meet and spend time with the Lord in the scriptures and in prayer and with one another there. Number four, you will worship in the house of God. That's what happened in verse 18. Let me, again, he brought, brought into the house of God the gold and silver and so forth. But they met together. You can see that in this whole context. They all met together to worship God. And that's why we're here. Corporate worship is something that God has asked us to do and commanded us to do. So you will worship in the house of God. Restore that altar of the Lord. Dear one, if you're here this morning, and it's been a long time since you have taken your Bible up and sat down in your home, and just opened it and met God on the pages of Scripture, and taken some time to say, Lord, I just want to talk with you. Just me and you. I want to commune with you. Or maybe it's your family. I want to encourage you to establish that altar, restore that altar of the Lord in your life as well as in your home. Well, there's a fifth step, which is a most blessed one in God's recipe for revival, and that is rejoicing and resting will be your portion. Got it in your outline there? Rejoicing and resting will be your portion. This is another verse I'm asking you to mark in your Bibles. Verse 15. Verse 15. All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Isn't that great? Isn't that what your and my heart desires? That's revival. A heart filled full of rejoicing, even though it's in a conflicting world, in a battle with my old sin nature and so forth, and yet there's rejoicing going on. And there's also resting in the Lord. My, 
resting in his word and so forth. Number one under that, you must be sincere and genuine in your commitment. You must be genuine and sincere, or sincere and genuine in your commitment. The people swore with their whole heart and sought the Lord earnestly. You see why I want you to mark verse 15? They swore with their whole heart and sought the Lord earnestly. And number two, God will let you find him. By the way, you can't miss that. We'll see that in a moment. You can't, you can't miss it in this text. And he let them find him. The latter part of verse 15. Well, this is what it's all about. I think in a moment we're going to be coming to this table which represents the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember when they were in that upper room when the first time the Lord, when he instituted the Lord's Supper? And uh, he came to wash their feet and Peter said, not me, you're not washing my feet. And he said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And Peter just went over, but he just went overboard. And then, Lord, give me the whole bath. What's he saying? Oh, by all means, whatever it takes, I want that. I want that, God. If it takes a whole bath, he said, you don't need the whole bath. You're already saved. All that needs to be cleansed are the feet. But you can see how desperately Peter longed for that. No wonder God revived him. No wonder he greatly used him. And God loves to revive his people. Well, here we come to the last part. Don't miss this one. The last part. The warning. Don't let your revival go into lapse. My. You know, you can effectively shut down the work of God even as a Christian in your life. You can shut it down. For 26 years, because the first 10 years of his life, uh, he, there was calm, and then they had this, God got uh, Asa's attention, Judah's attention. But for 26 years, they enjoyed the rejoicing and the resting and the revival that God sent to them. For 26 years. That's a long time. You know, I don't know how many of you have been saved for 26 years, but you've enjoyed that. And then what happens? They kind of begin to drift again. So what did God do? The cycle starts all over, folks. What did he do? He said, I've got to get your attention. And that might be where you and I are right now when it comes to the revival in God. He says, I've got to get your attention once again. And so what did he do? He allowed, this is God, he allowed Basha up there in Israel to the north to come down with an army and to take over one of King Asa and Judah's cities here. Verse 1 of chapter 16, and the 36th year, that's 26 years later, after this, enjoying the revival, 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah. That was Asa's city, Judah's city, in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You sit down like our nation does, and you figure out what we're going to do for our strategy. Guess what? Before God, that never works. But that's what he did. So I know what I'll do. I know exactly what I'll do. I'll go up there to the uh, the king of Aram there, that's Syria there, and I will give him a lot of gold and silver and money, and I'll say, break your alliance with Israel so that they will stop fortifying this city which belongs to me. And guess what, folks? Guess what? What he did worked. And that's my first point. Not everything that works is of God. You know what God wants? 
He brings these circumstances into our life, these problems. Why? Because he wants our attention. And boy, we're like mules. We are so stubborn in giving God our undivided attention. And so he said, well, I don't need to turn to God. I'm going to go ahead. I know how to make this thing work out and get out in this situation. And so he sent all that money up there, that wealth and so forth, to uh, the king there of Aram. And he broke his alliance with Israel, and it worked. Israel had to break off the, from Ramah, and they, they left that area. And so King Asa and the people went up there, and they reclaimed that territory that they lost. Number two, how are you responding to God's spoken and written word? How are you responding to God's spoken and written word? Look at verses 7 through 10. Oh boy. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. And he takes him back 26 years. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And here's another one of those verses you must mark. If you've not marked this, then you must mark verse 9. Many of you could quote this from different versions of the Bible. Here it is. Hanani to Asa. God to you and me. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. What a, what a, what a rebuke. But what a promise. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. And what do you do when you get a message like that? Do you say, oh God, forgive me and turn to the Lord? No, no, you don't do that. You take that prophet and because you got the authority and the pride, you throw him in prison. Now what does God do? He gives you three more years. He says, well, I'm going to have to get do something else to get your attention. Look with you with me at verse 12. In the 39th year, this is three years later. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. Was it diabetes? Was it gout? Was it some other problem? We're not told. But listen to as it goes on. His disease was severe. Notice the next part. Notice the next part. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. It goes on and says, but the physicians. Now, it's not wrong to seek physicians, but for this king under the theocracy back then, what was God trying to do? He said, your responsibility is to get back under my authority. It is to seek my face. It is for you to repent so that I can bless you and bring the revival. Three times in his 39th year, God tried to get his attention. First, he used Israel from the north to attack, didn't he? That didn't work. Then he sent what? His word. He sent the prophet. That didn't work. And so now he sends disease into his feet. And guess what, dear ones? Even that didn't work. What a warning. What a warning. Don't let the revival go into lapse. Mark that verse down in your Bibles. Verse 9. That brings us to number three. How are you responding to your divinely sent circumstances? 
I want you to see something in closing here. One last thought before we leave our text. Go back and look at chapter 15, verse 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Notice that part. If you seek him, he will let you find him. Now, when God repeats something over and over, I think it's important that you and I get a hold of it. Go then to verse 4. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel, and they sought him. What does it say? Tell me, what does it say? And he let them find him. Go to verse 15. All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly. And what does it say? What does it say? Together. And he let them find him. Three times, God says, I want you to find me. I want to revive you. I want to bless you. And frankly, I don't think he's going to salvage this nation or save it, but we might salvage people in it, and we're the salt and light in it. And I conclude with that great verse again, because it's still as relevant today as it was back there in Asa's day, and that's Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. That means his eyes are upon you and me. Day in and day out, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Let that be your life and not the conclusion of this verse. For Asa, you have acted the fool. Indeed, from now on, you shall surely have wars. Revival? God's recipe for revival? First, what's he have to do? Tell me, what's he have to do? Get your attention. Get your attention. Secondly, next step, think long and hard on the reward God offers you. Isn't that great? That verse there in verse 7, but you be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Think long and hard about that reward. And thirdly, remove all the idols in your life and home. And that's probably the hardest part of this, isn't it? Remove all the idols in your life and home. Fourthly, restore the altar of God. Spend time with him. And then rejoicing and resting will be your portion. But don't, don't relapse and fail like King Asa did. Heavenly Father, we see that on the pages of Scripture. Wow, so clear. The steps for revival. We now know them. But the question is, will we do anything about that? You long, the eyes of the Lord, if nothing else, Lord, may every one of us leave here with that verse ringing in our heart and mind. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is completely his. Oh, help us to give our hearts our minds, our bodies, completely to you. And bring revival, we pray, 
In Jesus' your name, amen.